the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. The administration hasn't been transparent. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. The Biden docudrama continued over the weekend. Revelations of more classified documents turning up in President Biden's Delaware home, a place they shouldn't be, dating back to his days as vice president. At least 20 have now been self-reported by Biden's legal team found in Delaware and at the University of Pennsylvania's Penn Biden Center in Washington. At this point, even California Democrat Adam Schiff has concerns about whether Biden's classified document mishandling might have compromised national security. I don't think we can exclude the possibility without knowing, knowing more of the facts. Uh, I'd like to know what these documents were. I'd like to know what the IC's assessment is. CBS News national security reporter Michael Morell. Those who classified those documents believe that if they get into the wrong hands, there could be exceptionally grave damage to national security. James Comer of Kentucky says it's just not right for Biden's personal attorneys to be rummaging through such documents when it should be investigated by the FBI. As for President Biden, he's due to speak this hour at a National Action Network event honoring Dr. Martin Luther King. Today's the federal holiday marking King's birthday in 1929. Schools, government offices closed, no mail delivery, no stock trading. Dr. King's actual birthday was yesterday, and that's when President Biden spoke from the pulpit at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a nonviolent warrior for justice who followed the word and the way of his Lord and his Savior. On what would have been the late civil rights leader's 94th birthday, Biden urged Americans to follow in Dr. King's footsteps. Well, some people aren't exactly embracing a new sculpture in Boston meant to honor Dr. King. The artist says the work entitled Embrace was inspired by a photo of King embracing his wife Coretta after he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. It's supposed to represent two arms hugging, but some art critics and others calling it aesthetically unpleasant, among other things. The debate over whether to again raise America's already swollen debt series might knock Biden's garage gate from the headlines this week. We certainly want to work with them, and I only hope that they'll work with us. Utah Republican Chris Stewart, Republicans and Democrats remain at odds over allowing the federal government to go further into debt to pay for everything on the current agenda. Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia chimed in on ABC's This Week. We can do deficit reduction, but at the same time, the last thing we ought to be doing is playing chicken with the American economy. Now to the weather. We're hanging in there the best we can. That's one Californian speaking for many. The flooding continues on the West Coast, as this waterlogged Californian can attest. I've seen a flood, but not like that. And Weather Channel meteorologist Molly McCallum says yet another storm system is bearing down on California and points east. This week we're watching a coast-to-coast storm starting in California, dropping several more inches of rain on the waterlogged Golden State. It's not just rain, it's also wind and feet of snow before leaving a swath of heavy snow in the plains in the upper Midwest by midweek. That system could also pose a new severe weather threat to the southeast later this week. As for its impact on our listening area, Kevin Williams' forecast is just ahead. A Georgia football player and recruiting staff member dead after they were involved in a car crash early Sunday. A woman who lives near the scene described the aftermath. They hit the power line, they hit a light pole, and then they hit the tree, and then they hit the building. Like, I, I don't even, and then they hit, end up behind the car. I can't even, 
say how they would have gotten into that position. The school confirmed Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix were killed. Police say Willick, a 20-year-old offensive lineman on the team, died at the scene. The 24-year-old LaCroix, who was driving, was hospitalized, but later died as a result of injuries. And a now former Alabama men's basketball player, Darius Miles, being held without bail in connection with a deadly shooting early Sunday. Police Captain Jack Kennedy. It appears that the only motive to this was a minor altercation uh, that these individuals had with the victim. Correspondent Laura Lawhead with more. The 21-year-old D.C. native has been charged with capital murder after a shooting near campus killed 23-year-old Jamea Harris from Birmingham. Another suspect with Miles faces similar charges. A close call at New York's JFK Airport. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff That Delta flight, a 737 bound for the Dominican Republic with 151 souls on board, managed to abort its takeoff roll before it would have collided with an American Airlines jet bound for London which had taxied across the same runway. Former NTSB Chairman Robert Sumwalt. It appears that that airplane did not make the right turn, but instead continued across an active runway. Federal authorities investigating that situation. At least 67 people have died in a plane crash in Nepal. Correspondent Ramian Asensio. Officials are investigating the cause of the crash. Nepal has a poor record of flight safety. At least 13 planes have gone down in the Himalayan nation in the past 30 years. More carnage in Ukraine over the weekend. At least 30 people dead after a Russian missile hit an apartment building. Many residents were just waking up when Russia launched two waves of missile strikes, haunting images of rescuers working night and day to find survivors, pausing now and then to listen for voices beneath the rubble. Like 23-year-old Anastasia Schwetz, who was in the bathroom of her seventh-floor apartment when the missile hit, she's already lost her husband on the front line. Now far from the battlefield, her home has been taken to. CBS's Deborah Patter. Last night at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Three, two, one. SpaceX celebrating another successful launch of its most powerful rocket, the Falcon Heavy. This time it took into orbit a pair of communication satellites on a classified military mission. And it didn't exactly go the way most Bills fans would have hoped, except for the final outcome. The Bills had to battle from behind against a banged-up Miami Dolphins team starting their third-string quarterback, but in the end, Buffalo got the job done in Orchard Park. First and ten for the end zone. Oh, it's Dave Davis! Did he get the feet down? Yes, he did! CBS's Jim Nance on the call, Bills QB Josh Allen. Thought we did some good things today. Um, I did some bad things today, you know, some stuff to clean up, some some things to learn from, um, but we'll grow from it. It's all, all that matters is surviving and advancing. Um, it doesn't matter how we win, it's if we win, and uh, proud of our guys for playing the way they did. Full check of sports coming up in just a few minutes. Still to come on the Noon Report, a move to make CPR training mandatory for New York sports coaches. A P8 nonprofit hit by a cyber attack and new life for a farm show butter sculpture. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. A pretty quiet weather day today. A little messy weather may be coming our way for some. I'll have forecast details coming up shortly. We'll see you in 10 minutes. All right, thank you, Kevin. Now checking the stories, making news where you live in New York and PA. The New York State Health Department exploring options today after a state Supreme Court judge struck down the statewide COVID-19 vaccine requirement for health care workers. That happened Friday. The judge said the mandate is, quote, null, void, and of no effect. 
There's more push for change in New York sports after the incident involving Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin. New York Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara calling for CPR training to become mandatory for all youth sports coaches. Under the current state education law, high school coaches must know CPR, but the new measure would require everyone who coaches children to know the life-saving technique. Hamlin, who collapsed during a Monday night football game, was resuscitated by CPR and the use of a defibrillator, now out of the hospital and still recovering. Jennifer Bolsoni, NBC News Radio. And of course, Hamlin on the minds of Bills players as they began the postseason with that hard fought win over Miami. Safety Dean Marlowe says just knowing Hamlin is continuing to recover made a big difference. All we needed was to see his face. Bills' next opponent, the Cincinnati Bengals, Sunday at 3. Dr. Martin Luther King Day observances all around the listing area today. One underway last hour in Broome County, New York. Event coordinator Jack Gilroy tells 12 News Dr. King was more than just a civil rights activist. Martin Luther King saw three major evils in the country. Racism, militarism, poverty. That observance taking place at the MLK Jr. statue on Court Street in downtown Binghamton. And in PA, while most kids are out of school for the holiday today, students at the State College Friends School are not. Head of the school, Joe Doherty, tells WTAJ. We do have school on MLK Day, and the students celebrate that this year through their artwork. And that artwork resonates with the Quaker testimonies, especially around peace and equity and nonviolence. School also highlighting that even though MLK's teachings happened decades ago, his work is still relevant and continues today. We want our students to learn about the history they've had, that the United States have had, and then be able to take that and create the change that we want to see in the world that they're living in right now. The students at the State College Friends School will continue learning about the legacy of Dr. King all week, including artwork and performances. A Utica man facing charges following an incident that left two employees at an Oneida County Applebee's hurt. New Hartford, New York police say 28-year-old Esteban Padron entered the restaurant Saturday night and was told to leave because he'd caused a previous disturbance there. He then grabbed a knife, slashed an employee in the face. A second employee also injured during the fight. A customer who was licensed to carry a gun then pulled out his weapon and held Padron at gunpoint until police arrived. A Northeastern PA nonprofit, the latest victim of a cyber attack. That story from Family Life's Brandon Dixon. Earlier this month, Maternal and Family Health Services, which serves 17 counties in the Scranton area, announced it had fallen victim to a sophisticated ransomware attack. Between August 2021 and last April, hackers accessed sensitive health information of more than 460,000 people, including social security numbers and financial and medical details. The organization's CEO, Maria Montoro, says the ransomware attack has, quote, hurt us to the core, but it's been working with digital forensics firms since the hack was discovered to examine what happened and protect them from future attacks. Both New York and PA are among the states most likely to fall victim to cyber threats. Brandon Dixon, Family Life News. Uh, thank you, Brandon. The wife of the man who was trapped when a trench collapsed in Allentown, PA last week, says he's been released from the hospital, but Ivy Hansel says she doesn't know when her husband, Jason Hansel, will be able to work again. She started a GoFundMe page asking for contributions for his medical expenses. He and a co-worker 12 feet down when that trench collapsed on them, burying them up to his neck. It took rescue workers over eight hours to free them. 22 Pennsylvania House Republicans have signed a letter to Speaker Mark Rousey ex- 
requesting he call the lower chamber into regular session to consider the omnibus package of proposed constitutional amendments. The House has until the end of January to pass Senate Bill 1 to have three separate ballot measures included in the May 16th primary election. The bill contains three measures that would require all voters to show a photo ID to cast a ballot, give the state legislature more power in overturning agency regulations, and establish a two-year period for child sex abuse survivors to file civil claims in court beyond the expiration of the statute of limitations. Some Pennsylvania state employees are going to be having an extra long weekend ahead of them, thanks to the governor-elect. Around 1,200 Pennsylvania state government employees who report to the Capitol complex in Harrisburg for work have been asked not to come into work on Tuesday. The purpose of the extended weekend is to reduce traffic and free up parking for governor-elect Josh Shapiro's inauguration, which will take place that day outside the Capitol East Wing along Commonwealth Avenue. The estimated cost to taxpayers for this extra paid day off is $440,000. But compared with past years, that's a relative bargain. Unlike previous inaugurations, employees with the ability to telework will work from home that day instead of getting the day off. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you, Brian. State officials updating Pennsylvania's medical marijuana ID cards. According to a spokesperson for the PA Department of Health, all medical marijuana ID cards printed after the first of the year are sporting a new design. Previous versions of the card remain valid, though, until the users are prompted to renew their IDs in the coming months. And the butter sculpture from the 2023 Pennsylvania Farm Show has been officially dismantled and will be used as a renewable energy source. The details from Family Life's Terry Diener. According to the American Dairy Association, the 1,000-pound butter sculpture was dismantled and then taken by farmer Brett Reinford to his dairy farm in Mifflintown, Juniata County. At the farm, there are two methane digesters among the 1,350 acres of land. The butter, along with thousands of pounds of food waste from nearby retailers, is broken down into the digester to create a brand new source of renewable energy. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Very good, Terry. Thank you. And now, a man who doesn't need any buttering up, here's Randy with a check of sports. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Mark, it was not pretty, but the Bills did advance, and that is the most important thing in these playoffs. Josh Allen threw for 352 yards and three touchdowns, but he was picked off twice, and he lost a fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Buffalo managed to hold on to this one, though, 34-31 against the Dolphins. The upset of the day came in Minneapolis as the Giants were the only team to win on the road yesterday, knocking off the Vikings 31-24. Daniel Jones threw for 301 yards, two touchdowns, and he rushed for 78 yards. Tell you what, not too shabby for your first postseason game. The G-Men will face the Eagles next. The other game saw the Bengals hold off the Ravens 24-17. The key play coming as the Bengals returned a fumble 99 yards for a touchdown. So what looked like a 24-17 lead for the Ravens turned into a 24-17 lead for the Bengals. And that ended up being the winning score. 
On to the NBA. The Knicks have now won three straight after beating the Pistons in Detroit, 117 to 104. Julius Randle, 42 points and 15 boards. Oklahoma City has also won three straight, 112 to 102 over Brooklyn. Out in LA, Joel Embiid scored 35 points and had 11 rebounds. James Harden knocked down 24 points and dished out 13 assists to lead the Sixers over the Lakers, 113 to 112. Denver, Portland, the Kings, Clippers, and Bulls also picked up wins. On the ice, the Canadiens, Vancouver, and Winnipeg, your winners. That is a look at sports. All right, sir, thank you very much. Still to come on the Noon Report, an update on the Biden document dilemma. More weather woes on tap for California and much of the country. And remembering actress Gina Lola Brigida. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Back in 2009, Chuck Colson partnered with Dr. Robert George and Dr. Timothy George to develop a statement, a robust defense of life, marriage, and religious liberty. It was called the Manhattan Declaration, a statement of Christian conscience. In it, the authors made a bold statement, quote, there's no more eloquent defense of the rights and duties of religious conscience than the one offered by Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail. Although there have been recent revelations about Dr. King that seem to point to significant moral failings on his part, his explanation in a letter from a Birmingham jail about the nature of law, about what constitutes an unjust law, and how we should respond to unjust laws is a masterpiece of applied theology. So today on Martin Luther King Day, here's Chuck Colson with a commentary about Dr. King and his letter from a Birmingham jail. It was originally aired in January of 2000. Here's Chuck. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is out of harmony with the moral law. It was with these very words in his memorable letter from the Birmingham jail that Martin Luther King Jr. threw down the gauntlet in his great civil rights crusade. King refused to obey what he regarded as an immoral law that did not square with the law of God. All across America today, millions of people are celebrating the birthday of this courageous man, and deservedly so. He was a fearless battler for truth, and all of us are in his debt because he remedied past wrongs and brought millions of Americans into the full riches of citizenship. In schools and on courthouse steps, people will be quoting his I Have a Dream speech. It's an elegant, powerful classic. But I would suggest that one of Dr. King's greatest accomplishments, one which will be little mentioned today because it has suddenly become politically incorrect, is his advocacy of the true moral foundations of law. King defended the transcendent source of the law's authority, and in doing so, he took a conservative Christian view of law. In fact, he was the most eloquent advocate of this viewpoint in his time. Writing from a jail cell, King declared that the code of justice is not man's law, it is God's law. Imagine a politician saying that today. But King built his whole case on the argument that an unjust law is no law at all, exactly as argued by St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas. To be just, King argued, our laws must always reflect God's law. And this is the great issue today in the public square. Is the law rooted in truth? Is it transcendent, immutable, and morally binding? Or is it, as liberal interpreters suggest, simply whatever the court says it is? Ever since Dr. King's day, the U.S. Supreme Court has been moving us step by step away from the positions this great civil rights leader espoused. To continue in this direction, as I've written, can only lead to the loss of self-governing democracy. So I would challenge each of us today to use this occasion to reflect not just on his great crusade for civil rights, but also on Martin Luther King's wisdom in bringing law back to its moral foundations. 
Many think of King as some kind of a liberal firebrand, but when it comes to the law, he was a great conservative who stood on the shoulders of Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine, striving without apology to restore our heritage of justice. And that's the lesson we should be teaching our kids on this holiday. This isn't just another day off from school or a day to go to the mall. In fact, I have a suggestion. Take this day to sit down with your kids and read them King's letter from the Birmingham jail. It may be the most important civics lesson they'll ever get. For Breakpoint, this is Chuck Colson in Washington. That was Chuck Colson on Martin Luther King Day in January of 2000, describing the significance of Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. For more about how to live in culture with a Christian worldview, go to breakpoint.org. All right, let's check in with Kevin Williams. The call for this afternoon, sunshine for many of us, and where there isn't, the sun should break through the clouds where that's not already happened. High temperatures today ranging mostly in the 30s. Then for tonight, clouds increase after evening starlight. A little light rain or a little light wintry mix arrives in areas close to Lake Erie overnight. Low temps, 20s and low 30s. Tomorrow, it's cloudy, a little light rain, a little wintry mix at the start. High temps, mid-30s to the low 40s. And cloudy Wednesday, a little light rain or snow, then a high temperature in the mid-30s to the middle 40s. Thank you very much, Kevin. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm Mark Webster. Thank you again for joining us. Recapping some of the top stories this day, yet more classified documents discovered at the Biden family compound in Delaware over the weekend. CBS's Tom Fody. House Republicans want to know far more. Kentucky's James Comer is Oversight Committee Chairman. We want to know the visitor logs to the residents. We want to know who had access. Also on CNN State of the Union, Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin. Biden's lawyers did the right thing and immediately contacting the archives and turning them over. Former Congressman Newt Gingrich says the presence of classified documents pertaining to Ukraine being in the Biden garage is particularly troubling given Hunter Biden's connections. Hunter had access to the garage where many of the secret documents were. And remember, uh, a lot of those documents involve Ukraine, uh, which was a country where uh, Hunter was making a lot of money out of Burisma, uh, even though he had no knowledge, no experience. Uh, so I think that raises a question. Gingrich speaking on Fox News this morning. President Biden set to deliver a Martin Luther King Jr. Day speech in Washington, D.C. this hour. Yesterday, he spoke at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Are we a people who will choose democracy over autocracy, community over chaos, love over hate. President Biden says the country's at a critical juncture. Flooding damage still being assessed in soggy California. This resident says it's just been too much of a good thing. We definitely need the water here in California, so it's good to have the water here, but I know it's very dangerous for a lot of people and they've been uh, hurt by it as well. Correspondent Tanya Backus is in usually sunny L.A. Many rivers remain dangerously close to flooding communities. And it's not just the rain. Powerful winds toppled a big rig on San Francisco's iconic Golden Gate Bridge, snarling traffic for hours. Now to New York, the FAA is investigating a near-miss incident involving two passenger planes at JFK Airport. Delta Flight 1493 was taking off from a runway. It was forced to stop midway, though, because of an American Airlines plane crossing the same runway. Delta passenger Brian Healy experienced the close call. It was like a split second of panic that resulted in this audible reaction on the plane. I felt then adrenaline, and there was total quiet on the plane, and then there was relief when the plane came to a stop. Former NTSB Chairman Robert Sumwalt says a plane load of questions... 
Former NTSB Chairman Robert Sumwalt says a plain load of questions need to be answered here. What happened? Why did this happen? Uh, was there a distraction in the cockpit of the American flight? Was there a misunderstanding as to the aircraft control clearance? The FAA released a statement saying the two planes came within approximately a thousand feet of each other. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer pledging to confirm a new FAA administrator. Schumer wants Phil Washington to take on the position after recent airline troubles and technology problems have caused headaches for travelers. All 72 people aboard a passenger plane are feared dead after it went down in Nepal. It was meant to be a routine 27-minute trip from Kathmandu to Pakara, but crashing just a mile from its final destination, the new international airport in the popular hiking city of Pakara. NBC's Molly Hunter. An autographed Kobe Bryant jersey going up for auction. The MVP season Los Angeles Lakers jersey worn by the late NBA legend more than 25 times during the 2007-2008 season. Sotheby's auction house describes the jersey as synonymous with the image of Kobe Bryant. For that reason, it's expected to fetch up to $7 million. And Italian actress Gina Lola Brigida dead at the age of 95. Family members shared the news of her passing on social media, calling her one of the brightest stars of Italian cinema. She rose to fame alongside Sophia Loren in the 1950s and 60s. The sultry screen legend made her English language film debut in 1953, appearing with Humphrey Bogart in John Huston's Beat the Devil. Ever since I met you, you feel my thinking. You are becoming an obsession. Don't you understand, Harry? I am deeply in love. Other notable films include her role as Esmeralda in The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Queen of Sheba in Solomon and Sheba. In 1984, she had a recurring role on the U.S. hit TV series Falcon Crest. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. This is Family Life Hometowns, a chance to get to know the stories behind the cities, towns, villages, and burgs that make up the Family Life listening area. We take a look at their history and learn what makes them special. Today, we spotlight Lewiston, New York. Located along the east bank of the Niagara River, Lewiston lies just north of Niagara Falls. And the way geologists tell it, those world-famous falls actually got their start at Lewiston before erosion brought them south to their current home. Tom Collister is museum curator for the Historical Association of Lewiston. He says settlements in the area go back thousands of years, but he picks up the tale for us in the 1600s. The last major group of Indians to be in Lewiston was the Senecas, who were carrying packs for fur traders, etc. And that's when the French came in around 1678. When LaSalle was looking for a place to build his boat, he sent Father Hennepin and a group of people up the Niagara River. They came up through the gully and found the Seneca is moving all the fur trade goods and realized that if they could have a storehouse here, they could pretty much control all the fur trade throughout the Great Lakes right through the Lewiston area. Collister says the French started a wave of migration into the central U.S., followed by the British, who built the first railway in North America in the Niagara Gorge. Of course, friction between the Brits, the Yanks, and Native Americans eventually led to the War of 1812. Ground Zero 
zero, Lewiston. Supposedly, the first major battle of the War of 1812 was here in Lewiston. About 5,000 regular army and militias from around New York State, and I think parts of Pennsylvania perhaps, came up here to Lewiston to invade Queenston and work from Queenston down to Niagara-on-the-Lake under the cover of darkness, through the gully, went over to Canada, climbed up the side of the escarpment, and then attacked the British from above, and were winning the battle, capturing Queenston. While that victory turned out to be short-lived, Lewiston's prominence hasn't been. Another major chapter in Lewiston history involves its role in the Underground Railroad. We had a lot of ways for them to escape here. We had abolitionists here, we had a station master here, and we moved slaves through Lewiston. We had the suspension bridge they could cross on, we had rowboats that they could cross on, we have a story of a man stealing a barn door and trying to uh, row himself across on that. The river is slow enough down here where someone could actually swim across if they had to. Fast forward to the 1950s and Lewiston became known for something that remains a prominent feature today, the Robert Moses Niagara Power Plant. Most people know that Shelkoff Power Plant fell into the Niagara River, and that was a major power producer, and New York State had to do something quickly to get power back to the cities down east, so they hired Robert Moses, and he came here, and he, through eminent domain, ripped up the whole uh, southern Lewiston area to build the power plant. They took all the spoils from that power plant and filled in the back portion of Lewiston, which had been a big bowl below the escarpment, and and it's what you see today is Art Park. The power project was created in a 24-7 effort in just over three years, a project in which 20 workers died. While there's no denying that urban planner Robert Moses was a maven, he was also a divisive figure to many. I'm sure that the people of Lewiston and many people in Niagara Falls were not happy with how he just came in like a whirlwind and took things and destroyed things. He destroyed a lot of our historical areas over there in the Art Park area. I'm sure he did the same in uh, Niagara Falls. They moved something like 78 homes and churches from their original areas and changed the whole lay of the land. When it was over, there was a lot of promises made of things being rebuilt, money to be pumped into the area and stuff. Doesn't seem to have uh, really happened. Despite those historic losses in the name of power and progress, Collister says residents then banded together to preserve what remained. The result being that a visit to the Lewiston of today will still treat visitors to a wealth of historic architecture, along with one of western New York's most picturesque riverbank vistas. We still try to keep the small town atmosphere here and we continually try to keep the historical upkeep of all our buildings and our homes that are on the uh, local register that we have. And I think everybody in this area realizes what's going on with the Frontier House now being uh, restored. It's on the National Register, and hopefully it'll be open in a couple uh, years. That's the place you recognize. Our yep. waterfront is beautiful, too. We have the monument to the Freedom Crossing people, and we have the monument to the Tuscaroras who saved all of the Lewiston citizens during the uh, burning of Lewiston in 1813. The Lewiston Museum is located in a former church on Plain Street dating back to 1835. You've been listening to Family Life Hometowns, a look at the cities, towns, villages, and burgs that make up the Family Life listening area. 
Please join us again next time for another edition of Family Life Hometowns. Family Life Hometowns airs Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Just ahead, love them or hate them, there's nothing quite like a Fig Newton. Hit it, Hal. A fig without a Newton is like the sky without the sun. So ooey-gooey, rich and chewy, Fig Newton's cake's the only one. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. High pressure producing a tranquil start to the work week will give way to a weak disturbance. It's going to spell a little light precipitation in our region late tonight and tomorrow. Temperatures will be borderline, so it could be a little light snow, a little light ice, then ultimately a little light rain as temperatures moderate. The call for this afternoon, sunshine for many of us, and where there isn't, the sun should break through the clouds where that's not already happened. High temperatures today ranging mostly in the 30s. Then for tonight, clouds increase after evening starlight. A little light rain or a little light wintry mix arrives in areas Close to Lake Erie overnight, low temps, 20s and low 30s. Tomorrow, it's cloudy, a little light rain, a little wintry mix at the start. High temps, mid-30s to the low 40s. And cloudy Wednesday, a little light rain or snow, and a high temperature in the mid-30s to the middle 40s. Thank you very much, Kevin. Finally at noon. I say you to These cookies are stupendous. Great Scott Yeah, today is not only Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it's also apparently National Fig Newton Day. Like that old commercial you just heard, one debate over the years has been just what a Fig Newton is. Cookie? Pastry? Who knows? Whatever your definition, the Fig Newton got its start in the 1890s at the F.A. Kennedy Steam Bakery in Massachusetts. They're named for Newton, Massachusetts. But credit is due to Philadelphia baker and fig lover Charles Roser, who figured out a machine for injecting the fig paste into a thick pastry dough. Back in the late 19th century, medical science blamed a lot of Americans' ills on bad digestion. The fig paste was thought to be helpful in that area. While the cookies or pastries or whatever still exist, in 2012, Nabisco dropped the word fig since they started making the treats with other fruit fillings as well. I've always liked biting off the little edges first. Anyway, that's the world we live in for Monday, January 16th, 2023. As always, thank you very much for listening. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.